Hi, everyone. This is Alex Aragona, host of The Curious Task. I'm here with Sabine Elchidiak, our producer, and Matt Bufton, our executive producer, who help bring you The Curious Task each week. We hope you enjoy this very special episode of The Curious Task, which we're releasing on Christmas Day. We want to thank you for tuning into The Curious Task, and we hope you enjoy listening to it as much as we do producing it. Do you have an idea for a topic we should address on the podcast or for a guest we should talk with? Send us an email at curioustask at liberalstudies.ca and let us know. The Curious Task is produced here at the Institute for Liberal Studies and supported by many of our listeners. If you'd like to help us carry on producing high-quality discussions about classical liberalism, consider signing up to support us on Patreon. Not only will you support creating more episodes, but we'll send everyone who signs up before December 31st a special holiday gift. From all of us here, happy holidays and thanks for listening. Welcome to a very special episode of The Curious Task from the Institute for Liberal Studies, where we explore economics, politics, philosophy, and other ideas from a classical liberal perspective. I'm Alex Aragona, your host, and today our guest is Alex Tabarrok. Alex is Bartley J. Madden Chair in Economics at the Mercatus Center and Professor of Economics at George Mason University. His research includes papers in the theory of voting, political economy, and empirical law and economics. He has published in the Journal of Law and Economics, the Journal of Theoretical Politics, Public Choice, Economic Inquiry, the Journal of Health Economics, and the American Law and Economics Review, just to name a few. Alex, as an Alex myself, I'd like to welcome you to our special episode of The Curious Task. Merry Christmas. Great to be here. So in each episode, we start with a question and go wherever the conversation takes us. So let's jump right into the jolly spirit of the season. Is giving gifts inefficient? Uh, well, as an economist, uh, we are known as uh, Scrooges, Scrooge-like people, always trying to uh, be miserly, perhaps. So uh, someone has to do that job. So I'm going to say yes. Uh, I'm going to say that giving gifts often is uh, inefficient. And the reason is twofold. There's a incentive problem and a knowledge problem. So the knowledge problem is that you don't necessarily know what the other person really wants. The incentive problem is that you actually don't have a big incentive to care what the uh, other person really wants. So for both of these reasons, uh, economists uh, following their Scrooge-like uh, temperament say, ah, it's better just to give cash. Uh, cash is least likely to be wasteful. Right. So let's get into a little bit more of the economics concepts through what you just started, which is great. So uh, why don't we have an incentive to get the right gifts and why don't we have the knowledge as well? Well, so it depends, of course, who you're giving gifts uh, for. Right. But you can think about how to spend money and who is spending the money. So most of the time, if we're spending the money on ourselves, well, then we have a incentive to spend carefully. So we want to uh, get a, a new audio device, a new technology device. And what do we do? We go to Wirecutter. Uh, great. Uh, there's a plug for them. I'm not getting paid. <laughs> but Wirecutter is a great review website. And so you look at all the, their reviews and you figure out, okay, this one is the best for me. This has got good. This has the uh, qualities that I want and good trade-off with the price. And so you're careful. You're careful about uh, spending uh, your money because you're going to be receiving the benefits of all that research that you do. On the other hand, when you are spending money on somebody else, you have some incentive to be careful, but it's a lot less because once you've spent the money, 
the benefit is going to somebody else. So you, 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 you don't have quite the same incentive. And of course, Milton Friedman pointed out that when you are spending someone else's money on someone else, that's actually the worst incentive situation. So when the government spends money, uh, they're spending other people's money to give benefits to yet other people. And so that's the worst incentive situation. When you're spending your money to help somebody else, you have less incentive, but probably more than the government does anyway. I'm so happy you went down that route because one of the things I made sure I had in front of me on my notes here was the uh, Milton Friedman's four ways to spend money chart. So that's awesome. I didn't even have to ask you about that. <laughs> it's great. And as, as you were saying, when you're spending someone else's money on someone else, it says you're, you're not economizing and you're not seeking the highest value. Whereas if you're spending your own money on yourself, you're economizing and seeking the highest values. Right. So that's the incentive problem. And then the knowledge problem is that even if you do have or did have an incentive to spend your money uh, carefully, you don't have the knowledge. Now, this if it's your family, if it's somebody close uh, to you, then you know something about them and that helps. But quite often we give gifts to people we don't know very much about. So for example, uh, we just gave in our economics department here at George Mason University. Uh, every year we give gifts to our uh, excellent administrative staff. Now, the administrative staff, I see them every day. Um, uh, we have two uh, here, uh, Lisa and Kashif. They do a great job. And I appreciate all the work that they do. And yet at the end of the day, I don't really know what they do when they go home. I don't know what their favorite uh, hobbies uh, are. Maybe I should. Maybe I'm a bad person. I should talk, you know, more often. But actually, I don't. They're coworkers, but I just don't know their their interests and their hobbies all that well. So, what do we do here at George Mason? Well, as is a good economics department should, um, I uh, uh, collect uh, money from everybody in the department. And I put it all together and I, I give our administrative staff a gift card, an Amazon gift card, good for almost everything in the world. And I think the staff actually appreciate that more than if them that if I got them a bottle of wine or something like that. Maybe they don't drink. Maybe they're not wine connoisseurs. I don't actually know. So uh, give them an Amazon gift card. That's almost as good as giving cash. And I think uh, they're better off and we're better off as well. Yeah. In one of the videos you're featured in online where, where you address this, um, you basically say that the main problem with gift giving is, in fact, that oftentimes, let, let's say I were to give you a gift. This is the first time we've met today. So uh, in, in, in that video, you say, ultimately, you, there's a good chance that you would probably value the cash that was used to buy that gift more than the gift itself. So that's where we, we aren't creating value. But I guess if you I were to give you cash as a gift, ultimately, you can go purchase something yourself. And that's how the value is created. Ultimately, that's the way I'm understanding what you're saying. That's right. So Joel Waldfogel, who is a economist, uh, he wrote a book, Scrooge and Economics. And what he found is that uh, Christmas creates a huge amount of waste uh, because on average people, for every $100 uh, of uh, gifts, which people give, the recipient values it at less than $100, sometimes maybe as little as $75 or $80. So you are literally, it's like it's like giving, it's like passing water with a very leaky bucket. Right. Uh, you fill the bucket up, but by the time it gets to the recipient, 
some of that value has been drained. And, and we want to reduce the leakiness in the bucket. And the way to do that is to give cash or something close to cash. So why, why do you think that people do keep giving gifts if it's ultimately inefficient? You know, we're not always specifically, um, you know, as rational as some economists may say we, we ought to be or, or we are in, in certain models. But we're, I would say that we're generally good at detecting what we value and what we don't value. So if giving gifts is so inefficient, why do people keep doing it? So I think there are some cases where gift giving can work um, precisely because the knowledge problem is difficult. If you can actually solve it, well, that sends a signal that you've been paying attention to the other person. Hmm. So if you give someone who is important in your life, you give them a gift which does actually uh, fit their tastes and their wants and their desires, well, that sends a signal, I'm interested in you. I've been paying careful attention. I, I know enough about you to know that you'd really like this. And that's an important signal to send. Do you think there's any cultural influences here as well? In, in This may be a reach, but in a weird way, are some people uh, incentivized by the potential negative that uh, the cultural influence has on them? That is to say, you are looked upon as a Scrooge if you don't give a gift. Is that enough of a counter incentive to say, okay, maybe I, sh I should bring a gift to everybody at this party I'm going to this time or bring something? Yeah, absolutely. I think there is a, uh, a bad actual cultural norm uh, against uh, giving uh, cash uh, in our uh, society. It makes you look odd. Um, you know, as an economist, I don't mind looking odd. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thick skin, maybe. Right. But, and I want to do something actually to maybe uh, change that uh, cultural consensus. Um, but I do, but it is interesting that it is not by any means worldwide. Uh, in fact, there are plenty of cultures um, where it's common to give cash at some uh, weddings, for example. I think this is. Uh, at some weddings, for example, the you you give the bride and uh, 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 the groom a cash. You pin it to their wedding dress, right? So uh, this is uh, quite uh, common in different cultures around the world. So it's not true to say that only economists, you know, uh, uh, like these weird things like giving cash. Um, actually, there are plenty of places where cash giving is the norm, and it, especially when. You are, I mean, it makes a lot of sense when you're starting out in life uh, as a married couple are that what they really want uh, is not necessarily a spoon set uh, or, <laughs> you know, a, a vase. Uh, but if you give cash, if you have a, a, a cultural consensus that giving cash is okay. That's actually better. So, and like as you were saying, uh, we can't just think that the North American culture we experience is the same everywhere else. So, some cultures for sure do do give cash. So, so maybe in a weird way, there is more of a disincentive to not give a gift in North America. But as you said, in other places, it's culturally normal. Yeah, we need some uh, we need some good cultural appropriation. Right, right? exactly. Bad, bad cultural appropriation, but there's some good cultural appropriation as well. So, uh, we need to adopt the best from other cultures. Yeah, we definitely need to adapt. I'm, I'm with you. We need we need to ad adapt to this type of. Uh, cultural norm. I, I am fully on board that it would be preferable if we all gave each other cash on the holidays. So I'm there with you. Um, th this may be another bit of a reach, but it, but it struck me as I was reading some of the stuff you've written uh, written on this, and and also that video, that great video online. Um, what if two parties ultimately value giving gifts higher than 
any rate of efficiency or inefficiency about the gifts themselves. And what I mean by that is, is it possible you have a situation where regardless of what the gift uh, being exchanged is, that people just genuinely like the idea, hey, I've given this person a gift, I've thought of them, and then the receiver goes, wow, that's nice. (laughs) Subjectively speaking, I value that so highly that someone even thought of me. Who cares about the gift? I know that's probably uncommon situation, but maybe that's another driving force here is just, is there any truth to that, the thought that counts statement? No, I think that's, I think that's right, especially at the first part. So I think part of the problem is why do we give gifts? It's not to benefit the other person, but it's to get the warm glow, the feeling that we have done good, okay, that we are a good person. So from that perspective, it doesn't matter that the other person doesn't even like your gift. You did the right thing. You get this warm glow. Now, this becomes particularly problematic when we're talking about charity. So mm. not, you know, a, a gift to a friend or a coworker or family member, but you're giving a gift to, you know, someone you don't know uh, overseas. Now, if you're giving a gift to, to charity, uh, somebody in a civil war situation or something like that, the knowledge and the incentive problems are, you know, magnified many times because, we, uh, the giver, know very, very little about what people in Haiti after an earthquake, what they really need. We are just not at all familiar with their problems right? Um, and what it's like to live, you know, at, at that subsistence uh, level. So it's particularly, the knowledge problem is particularly large. And this is why I'm very much against... Um, you know, charities which say, send your old shoes to to Haiti. And this is an actual charity that did this. Um, it sounds great, like we're all winners because they need shoes and you have some shoes in your closet and you get to declutter. You know, I mean, this appeals to our fantasies. But actually, this is a crazy way. It's crazy to ship heavy shoes, okay, use shoes to ship them to Haiti uh, in order to, uh, uh, you know, get people better shoot there. It's much cheaper, of course, to ship money, right? Uh, you know, you can ship money much cheaper than you can shipping products. So again, the bucket is much less leaky when you have a low transactions cost that you can easily ship the, the cash. And then people in Haiti, uh, they know much, much better about what their most imminent needs are. And it might not be shoes. Um, and it might be boots. It might be, it might be food. It might be shelter. And so it's much better to, whenever there's a disaster in the world, uh, don't send shoes, uh, don't send a cow, right? This is another kind of, uh, favorite sort of charity, you know, send a cow or pay for a cow in a village and, or a pig or chickens. That's another favorite one, right? We're going to support chicken farming in some developing country. And actually, this is just a very poor way of uh, helping people elsewhere. But why do we do it? We do it because we're not really thinking about them all that much. Right. Uh, we're only thinking about, I'm a charitable person. Look at what I've done you know, for the world. And it makes us feel good. And actually, if we thought about them more, we would send cash. So cash is, if you want to be altruistic, Cash is the truly altruistic uh, gift. Right. And and I guess uh, if we accept what you said earlier, which is that ultimately all uh, 
for lack of a better term, I guess, all gift giving is, is rationally selfish to some degree, right? That when you get to the fact that you're, you know, donating to charity and whether or whether it be you give cash to that charity and that charity turns that cash into something else and people get, like you said, a cow or something, or you, you give your old shoes, ultimately you're appealing to that side of yourself where you say, well, I, at least I didn't throw out my old shoes. I, I gave them to someone. But in reality, as you said, that might not be generating the highest value for the people that actually are in need of something else. That's right. So uh, economists are often accused of being, you know, selfish and self-interested. And actually, but my point is that cash is less self-interested and selfish. Cash is actually thinking about the other person more. Um, and it's also a lot of this, a lot of, many of these charities are sort of paternalistic. Right. Right. Uh, when you are, you know, sending a cow or chickens, you're sort of saying, we know better than you do what you need to do to get out of poverty. And, uh, I think that's just not true. We don't know better. Um, and it's paternalistic and people think, well, if I send cash, then they're going to spend the money on alcohol or tobacco or partying or something like that. And while that is a understandable, uh, concern, um, it also appears not to be true. So, uh, th there is a charity, uh, uh, started by economists called give directly. Um, and I'm a big fan of the charity. It's on uh, GiveWell's list of the most, uh, efficient uh, charities, the most beneficial charities, and they go to poor countries, to villages in poor countries, and they give cash to people pretty much randomly right. okay, to people who are poor um, they, through their cell phones, they give cash. And the fact that they're giving it more or less randomly, you might think, well, that's terrible. Um, but actually, it also makes a lot of sense because when people know that you are giving money, they rent seek, they, they try and do things to get that money, right? So uh, even if it's, some, you know, even in the United States when the uh, NIH or the NSF is giving out grants, there's a huge amount of time and effort which is spent in writing grant proposals. Uh, my wife is a microbiologist, and I see uh, this in action uh, every day. And if you think that, you know, there's 100 people applying for the grant, and only one of them is going to get it, you have to compare the value of the grant as it's actually given to the time and effort that all 100 of those people spent trying to get the grant. Mm. So again, that's part of the leaky bu bucket. Because in order to give $100, you had these 100 people, if they spent a dollar each trying to get the $100, then you haven't generated any wealth for society at all, right? If you're giving $100 and, people, and 100 people are spending a dollar each to get that money, society hasn't gained anything at all. Right. You've spent $100 to get $100. It's like uh, hand on a truck. I don't know if you uh, uh, ever seen this, but this was a contest, sort of a famous contest, which was held. The person who kept their hand on the truck longest got the truck. Right, right. I've heard of this. I've heard <laughs> right? of this. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so people spend days and days, right? And there's starts out with, you know, a dozen people with their hands on the truck and, you know, one by one, they all drop out. So there's a huge amount of effort and time spent trying to earn this truck. And if you add up all of the time and effort spent, uh, it's quite often more than the value of the truck. 
And that's a problem that we have in grant giving. It's a problem that we have in charity. So giving charity randomly means that people can't waste resources trying to get the money. And actually, there is some movement towards giving um, scientific grants uh, more randomly, precisely to avoid huh. uh, this problem. So I think we have something to learn. Again, it seems a big distance from Christmas and gift giving to how should we uh, organize the NIH and the NSF and the Canadian uh, grant giving associations and so forth and government. But there is an important lesson there, and that is the more money which is spent trying to get the grant the less valuable the grant is to society as a whole. So you want to kind of reduce the resources people spend trying to get the money. And one way to do that is to give it more or less randomly. And that might actually have better uh, properties overall. Yeah. And I, and I also like to continue plugging Give Directly, actually, because you did mention this. I, I forget if it was in one of the articles I read of yours or if it was that uh, Christmas video that I saw, but you you mentioned it in there. So before before today, I I checked out the website, and, and it is really great. I mean, you you don't you give your money directly to this website, and you can even kind of put uh you have a multiple choice bubble when you're about to donate. It says, okay, like what do you prefer as a person giving? Like, do you like to see somebody receive the money to you know have a business or are you basic income or whatever the case may be? And and the website also has another section now. I'm not sure if it did when you were, were checking it out or if you've checked it out recently, but they have started this kind of blog roll area where they track what people have done with the money from the day they get it and what they've done. Not not to monitor them in, in a sense that they're being paternalistic, but just to let people know what's happening. And and they're great stories. So um I do encourage everyone to check that out. It seems like it's working, Alex, from <laughs> that uh, people are getting money randomly and they're doing stuff with it. You could read their stories. They've been interviewed by the staff members and the staff members post it and they're great stories. Yeah, absolutely. It's another thing I like about uh, Give Directly, again, started by economists, is that they do randomized controlled uh, studies of their own giving. Mm. Um, this is incredibly unusual in charity work, right? So the way that we evaluate charities today is very poor. It's not a good methods at all. You know, we, we talk about things like, you know, how much of the money, you know, uh, is spent in, you know, advertising and trying to get the money and so forth and things like, but there's actually very little detailed analysis of what good was actually done. That's a really good point. Aside from academic studies or official studies, even as a person consuming news or general information you may see online, I don't think I've actually ever seen a click this link uh, to this, you know, Globe and Mail article or something that explains how this charity actually did for the holidays. They're asking for money, but I haven't seen too much talk on a lot of the good that's been done by them. Right, right, exactly. And uh, that's something which Give Directly does. Um, they compare what are the outcomes in villages where they gave money compared to the outcomes in villages where they did not give money. And it turns out that. A, as you pointed out, um, people use the money for good purposes. Um, it's not typically wasted in you know, alcohol or tobacco or something like that. That's not what's going on. Mm -hmm. um, they use it in a variety of ways. So uh, not everybody buys a cow or a chicken. They use it in a variety of ways to develop businesses, to fund education, and so forth, to put a roof over their heads, sometimes literally a, a tin roof. So people have different preferences and they have different needs and the money is spent in different ways. And what Give Directly finds is that when they give in villages, it's not just the people whom they give to who benefit. 
but there are spillovers to the entire village. Yes. And this is something which you can study carefully using randomized controlled trials, and that's exactly what they've, what they've done. So it's one of the most credible uh, charities, I think. Uh, that one can give to right and exactly and, and if anyone goes to that site and checks out these uh, this blog roll i'm talking about where they put up some stories of some of the people who have received money anyone could put their junior economist hat on and see when the guy says i have purchased this i've put a roof over my head and i've hired three people well what does that mean right it's not just the fact that that guy hired three people those people presumably now there's three other people in that village who have jobs they're going somewhere every day to be paid to do whatever it is take care of the livestock etc so as you said that spillover is also a huge part of this discussion too um and ultimately we're back to talking about gifts right we can give a gift somehow that not only benefits one person but has a spillover effect that's very powerful right this is one of the most important aspects which is i believe has come out of the effective altruism uh, movement uh, ea or effective altruism is you know how we need to study what how much bang for our buck do we get what is mm-hmm. the best way to uh, help other people and it's often not what you think of um uh, off the top of your head this requires detailed study and a uh, give well um, which is a charity ranking uh, organization, which I also uh, like a lot, um, does exactly this. They look at charities and have the charities done a randomized control trial to figure out where the money is going, what exactly the uh, net benefit uh, is. Uh, Give Directly, as I, we've already mentioned, is one of their top charities. Uh, so is anti-malaria uh, campaigns. Um, and again, you can go to GiveWell and you can find out which are their top charities. But these anti-malarial campaigns, again, this is something which you can measure. You can measure how many people get malaria when in a village which has been given bed nets and how many people get malaria in a village which has not received this uh, charitable donation of bed nets or the money to buy bed nets and things like that. So you can actually see in lives saved and in healthcare costs avoided, you can actually see what is actually working on the ground. And I think that's an excellent place to take a break. So we're going to do that right now. Everyone, you're listening to The Curious Task. I'm talking with Alex Tabarrok. The Curious Task is a podcast from the Institute for Liberal Studies. Feel free to send us questions and feedback to curiousTask at liberalstudies.ca. A special thanks to our supporters on Patreon, including Joe Aragona, Liam O'Brien, and Peter Jaworski. Remember to like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at CuriousTaskILS, and rate us on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you're listening to The Curious Task. Alex, before the break, we, we covered a lot. Um, but one thing I wanted to get into was was this concept of, of the wild self. You've written about it in an article <laughs> before, and I'd really like you to just, just give us the spiel. What does that mean, and what does that mean for gift-giving? Right. So this comes out of a question of who we really are as, as people. Um, and it comes out in, a little bit in uh, from Derek Parfit, a uh, famous uh, philosopher, and his book, uh, Reasons and Persons. And uh, Parfit sort of argues that we have multiple selves. And we have some experience of this, of course, in a negative way, right? So there's a self who uh, wants the uh, chocolate cake, and there's a self who uh, wants to, you know, look good and lose weight. And there's a battle between these multiple selves. Mm. And more generally, there may not be 
a sort of a single unitary actor in our mind. Um, Hayek also talked about this, that actually the mind may be more of a, a, a market uh, where you have dueling uh, preferences and uh, dueling desires. And kind of what the mind does is it trade-offs and balances and out of this uh, melange, out of this kind of chaos, this maelstrom of different things pushing us in one direction or the other, it manages to uh, choose something for us to do. So that we have multiple selves. And so the question is when you give, maybe uh, what you should do is try to give to the person who is not the rational one in charge of themselves that you see on a day-to-day basis, but try to give to the wild self, to the underlying person uh, who perhaps does not pop up uh, as often as uh, they might like. Uh, but give a gift, for example, of a uh, trip um, or an adventure, um, something that the person nece- wouldn't necessarily buy for themselves, but there's an underlying uh, persona there which would uh, enjoy something like that. So I do think in general that giving uh, products is not as good as giving services or adventures or you know something the experiences, experiences right uh, and if you can give somebody an experience which appeals to their wild self i think that's a very uh, compelling gift that, that makes a lot of sense right because i think when it comes to the holidays or birthdays or whenever it's time to give a gift a lot of people say well i know for a fact that alex needs socks i'm gonna get him socks <laughs> well as you said right. the rational part of you would be like maybe in the within the next two weeks anyway would head over to whatever store and buy yourself some socks so not very exciting but if someone uh, i know that there's a bit of a price jump but i hope everyone listening gets my point if someone busted out two tickets to like where i don't know wherever you'd like to go disneyland or universal studios that's a whole different thing right maybe you felt that you were going to be busy over the next six months and you'd never think of booking yourself that trip but someone else gave you some coupons and that's great that's right I- I- exactly and of course it's great yeah, i mean this only applies to some people but i mean it's you can take somebody, do something with someone uh, is always a very compelling gift as well. Right. And we're never, I guess, back to what you were saying about the knowledge problem. We're never fully going to be able to get over the knowledge problem because we are not, in fact, that other person. But if you know someone very well, at least you can minimize or shrink the knowledge problem, I guess, in this case, right? To know their wild self. That's right. That's right. So this only applies to someone whom you might know, because if you don't know, you you might embarrass yourself. Right? <laughs> that's, that's, that's true, too. And we, you know? and, and we have to remember as well, to everyone listening, taking advice, maybe, that we mean wild self in an economic sense. Don't do weird things to people this holiday season or give well, them weird they gifts. Want you know. it. Unless they want it, exactly. You have to feel like you have that knowledge problem a little yeah. bit shrunk yeah. before you go. So you want to sort of you want to sort of think about a gift that the person would get for themselves if only they were unconstrained by societal mores and by uh, cash and things like that. Right. So what would the person do if they were if they were sort of a, a totally free, you know? Their hippie self. Right. What would they do, right? That kind of uh, get up and go out on the road, right? I think quite a few of us have a uh, hidden desire, you know, to take this job and shove it, even though I love my job. But anyway, lots of us take this job and shove it, and I'm going to go to, you know, San Francisco and be a hippie in Haight-Ashbury or something like that. So if you can uh, appeal to them in a little way, 
a little bit of Haight-Ashbury or a little bit of Esalen or something like that, right. then maybe you can uh, really give someone a great gift. It's, it's that part of someone who you may know that wouldn't even spend a dollar on themselves, but for some reason keeps throwing their money at that charitable, charitable activity where you can throw up high in your boss's face or something at the Christmas party. It's like, they just spent a hundred bucks on this. There, that's their wild self, right? Guys appeal to that side of them. That's right. And uh, so, so ultimately to wrap up alternatives to gift giving, well, like, is your answer basically, and we like we have talked about a lot, but is your answer basically in the short form, look, when in doubt, cash? Is, is that the message for the holiday season, in your opinion? Yeah, I think that the message is, is don't be ashamed uh, to give cash. And especially when it comes to people whom you don't know uh, very well, if it comes to charity, um, cash is great for people in developing countries whom you, you don't, you have neither the knowledge uh, uh, you, you just don't know about their lives. So, uh, give directly, I think is a great, uh, charity. And that's also, by the way, you can give somebody a charitable donation in their name. Uh, I think that's also a, a kind of a nice gift actually. Right. That's a good point. That's a very good point. And I also like how you brought up the aspect of paternalism in our first half too, because a lot of people may say to something like give directly, well, I, I want to make sure that, you know, they have to sign some sort of contract or something like that, where if we give them X amount of money, they do Y amount of money. And often people, when they feel that kind of paternalism, they think they're in a way unselfishly doing it, but but in a way it's, it's not right. What you're doing at that point is assuming that, you know, as you were saying before, how they should best spend their money. So I, I think it's also good for people to, to give pause to that sort of knee jerk reaction they may have and say like, well, are you actually being unselfish in that case? Or are you still worried about your money and where it's going? If you kind That's of see right. what I'm saying? Yeah, it's paternalistic. And, um, it just also goes back to the rent seeking problem. It's wasteful because when you put these conditions, then the people compete um, to, you know, meet your criteria, which sounds good. Um, as you know, people compete to get a grant, um, from, uh, science agencies, you know, they write the grant in a certain way and they do certain things and, you know, they're competing to meet the criteria. And yet it is so much waste. There's so much paperwork, you know, there's so much time and effort spent. Uh, there are in fact some grants, the, uh, Howard Hughes, uh, medical association, they give grants. Basically, they say, this person seems really smart. We're just going to give them a big grant. You do whatever you want with it for the next five years. Okay. We're not going to uh, require you to resubmit, you know, on a yearly basis. Here's this money. Um, we're not going to say you need to do this or this. You don't even apply. Um, we're just going to give you, we think you're doing good work. Here's some money to continue your, your, your work. And studies of those grants, these Howard Hughes grants, shows that they are much more productive in terms of patents, in terms of scientific citations um, that come out of the work, things like that. And you, you've cut out so much of the waste. So they didn't have to apply, so there's less paperwork. And you'd also, when you go to these committees, you have to meet the standards of a committee, right? And we all know that uh, the committee, you know, goes to the mean, right? They go to the average. So it's very difficult to get radical new scientific ideas funded by a committee. Right. And my, my colleague, uh, Tyler Cowan, he also runs a charity, Emergent uh, Ventures. And, you know, part of what he does is he makes decisions very quickly. He's only one person, basically only Tyler and a few other people decide who gets the money. And it's a much more, in a way, scattershot um, approach. 
but much less wasteful. And even if Tyler thinks that something might not work, you know, he's okay with funding it because he doesn't always know. Even Tyler, even my colleague Tyler Cowan doesn't know everything. If anyone does, it's Tyler. It's uh, <laughs> people who know him uh, would would agree with. But Tyler understands the knowledge problem, and sometimes you just have to have a scattershot approach because great ideas are crazy, right? Great ideas are crazy, like right. in the famous story of uh, Fred Smith with FedEx. And the paper in business school describing, you know, his idea for a package delivery service where to get something from one borough in uh, New York to another borough in uh, New York, you're first going to drive it. You're first going to fly it down to Memphis, you know, to a big package facility and then sort it and send it back out again. And the paper got a C, right? Right. Uh, And of course, lots of great ideas are like this because if a committee could tell right away this is a great idea, well, it would have been done already. Right, exactly. Uh, so I think even though we're talking about charity and Christmas, part of it also applies to things which governments uh, do, like giving away money. And it does suggest that a more random scattershot approach could actually uh, be better in wasting fewer resources and also in reaching those crazy ideas which can't get through a committee. Right, exactly. And I'm glad you sort of brought the business worlds there too, because I'm quite familiar with that when I'm not working at the Institute for Liberal Studies. That's where I spend a lot of my time. And and when uh, you either have like an angel investor, venture capitalist investing in, in a firm, yes, of course, the people that are seeking the funds often have to have a business plan and a general guideline. But ultimately, the person investing is trusting that CEO or that president or the execs that they're giving the money to, to do what they got to do with the money. You talk to a lot of these people and they say, well, I'm actually betting on people. They don't say, I'm a venture capitalist. I'm sticking my nose in their business every single minute, telling them what to do with my committee. You know, so it's it's kind of the same thing, right? As- That's absolutely right. Yeah, this betting on people and these venture capitalists, um, they know most of the money that they spend will not be returned to them, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, ten uh, percent or less than ten percent of the projects will be successful. So it's a very scattershot approach. And you're absolutely right. They bet on people, and that. That's the only thing which makes sense because so many of these unicorns, these billion-dollar um, ideas, developed with a pivot, right? Right. So, uh, you know, it's something which was not the original uh, idea, and the the new idea only comes out of practice. And what you're really hoping for is that, yeah, the person starts down this path, but they might take a completely different, you know, path. And uh, that's often how great ideas uh, come from. Uh, you only learn about them in doing, in, in practicing. And then it's not something that you write on paper beforehand. This is also true in scientific research or in my own research as, a, as an economist, which I tell my students. My students often think that they need to have an idea you know, before they start a paper, right? So they're going to have the whole idea in their heads and then – they research it and write it down. And that's so rare that it happens that way. And what I tell them instead is, no, learn about a topic. Learn everything you can, you know, about X. And as you do that, then the ideas will come once you delve deep and you learn the details and the particulars and the peculiarities and the oddities about this law 
you know, uh, that it was only applied in these co- counties at this time and not at this time and things like that. Um, you, you really only learn after you've developed a deep knowledge of the subject and then the idea um, comes to you uh, often while in the shower or something like that. Exactly. Right? The, the best plans plan to be changed. That's that's, that's just right. a truism almost, right? That's right. I, I, I have a little little bit of a lighthearted one for you. What would be the perfect gift to you if someone wanted to show how well they knew you? Back to this wild self concept. <laughs> right. Of course, right. Some, of course, it might, the wild self could be something you don't even know about yourself in a certain way. It depends how other people see you. But, but, but what would you say if we can get close to that concept? What would that be for you? I mean, I, I do like to travel um, a lot and to see uh, new things. Um, I did a sabbatical in uh, India uh, not too long ago, and that was fantastic seeing the, which I'd never been before, and seeing the uh, Hindu temples in particular uh, was uh, wild and eye-opening and very exciting. So um, I kind of like to be thrust into these uh, situations, and India in particular is so chaotic and colorful and filled with sights and sounds that you don't see uh, elsewhere. And it's so overwhelming uh, to the senses um, that uh, that was very exciting for me. So I do like uh, travel uh, quite a bit. Well, Alex, we've talked about a lot, so uh, and our time has wound down here. So let's bring a full circle and put a finer point on our exploration of the question today. We always like to end our episodes like this with our guests. What do you hope are the main takeaways for someone listening to here on whether giving gifts is inefficient? So it's a fun it's a fun question. And um, what I hope is that people uh, will uh, take the question perhaps with a a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but I think what's interesting about the question is all of the side chains that we have developed as we've gone along, right? I mean, it's Christmas time. It's fun to think about these things. It's fun to talk about Scrooge, but really we're talking about the knowledge problem and the incentive problem. And once you understand these two problems, the applications of these ideas to charitable giving, to scientific funding, to how governments uh, should be run, the applications of the knowledge problem and the incentive problem are very deep and very fundamental. So uh, it's great to think about on uh, Christmas and to think about uh, Scrooge, but it's also, this is a fun entryway into two deep ideas, knowledge problem, incentive problem, the apply to everything. I think that's an excellent way to end it. Alex Tabrock, thank you very much for uh, joining me today on The Curious Task and happy holidays, Merry Christmas, and I hope you enjoy the season. Thank you. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you. Happy holidays, everyone. This episode of The Curious Task was produced by Alex Aragona and Sabine L. Chidiak. Our executive producer is Matt Bufton. The music you heard on today's episode was created by Lindy Voppenfjord. You should check out his other stuff online. The Curious Task exists today because of donations of time and money from those creating it and listeners like yourself. Check us out on Patreon and find out how you can support us and get access to exclusive offers. I'm Alex Aragona. Thank you very much for joining us on The Curious Task.